0: What's going on? Welcome to episode 10 of But I Digress. We finally made it into the double digits. And after another week off, we are back. Unfortunately, well, I guess fortunately, last week uh, I had quite a busy week. I was flying back from Florida. I helped a friend move in up in Milwaukee. And so the week just kind of got away from me. But we had a regular week and we're back for episode 10. So today on the podcast, we're we're going to talk about a very important 400th anniversary. We're going to talk about a boy in Ohio making a random and really awesome discovery, talk about the great Simone Biles and a new tech startup called Cogito Inc. But before we get started, as always, we're going to start with today in history on today, which is August 23rd, recording on our first Friday. Uh, in 1617, the first one-way streets in the world were open, and that was in London. Those of you who live in major cities know that one-way streets, while convenient, can also be incredibly annoying. Uh, so today in 1617 is the first one-way streets are open, so happy one-way street day. In 1850, we had the first U.S. National Women's Rights Convention convene in Worcester, Massachusetts, uh, obviously pushing for women's, wa- and women's rights in the U.S., which is a fight that we are Unfortunately, still fighting today in terms of things like birth control and the ability to get abortions when is when one wants, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. In 1990, we had East and West Germany announce that they will reunite on October 3rd. So that was huge, and that's also one of the things I thought it was interesting that World War II ended quite a while ago, and it wasn't until 1990 that East and West Germany. Reunited, And a lot of us, especially in their 20s, late 20s at all, and then early 30s, kind of take for granted that Germany is one country, even though it was within the realm of our lifetime that East and West Germany were separated. On this day in 2005, we had Hurricane Katrina form over the Bahamas, and we know that would later become a Category 5 storm that would devastate New Orleans. And cause a lot of political issues as well as physical damage to people and their homes, etc, etc. But it was on today that it actually began to form over the Bahamas. And in 2007, we had the hashtag invented and it was first used in a tweet by U.S. product designer Chris Messina. So hashtag being a huge thing now on Twitter and even more so on Instagram was invented on this day in 2007 and used in the first tweet. Moving on to our first topic of today, this month marks the 400th anniversary of the British slave trade in America. Uh, just a quick history lesson before we get into it. The quote unquote first slave ship landed at Port Comfort on the Virginia Peninsula in late August of 1619. Uh, there have been some dates floating around. Historians have kind of been arguing on what days. Or what specific day the ship landed However, it is agreed upon that that it was within the last week or so of August The slaves had come from what is now Angola But at the time was a Portuguese colony And they were originally actually headed to the Spanish colony Veracruz However, the ship that they were on, a Portuguese ship uh, Was actually intercepted by two English privateer ships The White Lion and the Treasurer and they seized some of the Angolans that were on board of the Portuguese ship. The White Tiger and the Treasurer were on their way to America. The White Lion arrived in Virginia in late August of 1619, and the Treasurer arrived just a few days later, and it was noted in a letter to the people running the Virginia colony that on the ship, amongst all of the other things that they had, were 20, quote, 20 and odd Negroes. Um, contrary to popular belief, these are not the first African slaves, Africans or slaves rather in the U S Juan Garrido became the first documented black person in the U S in 1513, when 1513, when he was assisting on an expedition to what is now Florida and the first slaves were brought in 1565. Uh, the Spanish brought them to what is now St. Augustine, Florida. However, 1619 does mark the beginning of the modern and well-known slave trade, which is different than just bringing slaves. In 1619 is when we started having slaves being brought here regularly from Africa to basically build a country. And it's something where... People like to celebrate 1620 and Plymouth Rock and the Nina the Pinta and the Santa Maria from Christopher Columbus. And then you have 1620 and Plymouth Rock where we had the pilgrims coming over and people love to celebrate those days and talk about how. Well, America was founded those days and that's when America started and so on and so forth. Failing to pay attention to the fact that slaves were brought here before then. In 1619, we had the first slaves, which were doubly stolen. They were stolen from Angola. And then on their way to where they were going, they were stolen again and then brought to America, which isn't where they were supposed to be brought in the first place. And that kind of gives you a bit of insight. And it's a bit of a microcosm of how messed up the slave trade was to begin with. That A, the first slaves who came here in what is now the modern day, Uh, what we know is the slave trade, rather, uh, weren't even supposed to come here, number one. But also, number two, that people don't like to recognize that it was at the same time, that slavery was wound into the founding of this country because 1619 slave trade starts, 1620 pilgrims get here. It was almost like they couldn't come here until there were slaves here to help build the country for them. And so when something is woven into the fabric of the history of a country, it doesn't just get forgotten. It doesn't just end when that particular act ends, because when something is woven into the history, it becomes a part of the culture and culture is something that extends beyond what we would assume to be its historical reach, and people are still suffering the consequences of being enslaved in that if you look at most African Americans, we cannot trace our lineage back past like five or six generations, and most of us cannot trace it back outside of this country. Whereas I have plenty of white friends who can go, oh, yeah, my mom's family is from this town in Germany and my dad's family is from this town in France. And my great, great, great grandparents lived here and blah, blah, blah. And for me, I can go, well, my grandmother lived in Washington, Georgia. Her father lived in Washington, Georgia. And after we get a few generations beyond that, we don't really know. So just understanding that while We appreciate being here and it's awesome to be in America and it's given me a lot of opportunities, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That still comes with some baggage that we have yet to really unpack because in a lot of spaces, we're not allowed to unpack it. So keep in mind that this month is really important. Uh, 400 years is a very long time. We are still suffering the consequences of that. And it's important that we recognize those things. Moving on to a much lighter story, Uh, we had a boy, 12-year-old, that's why I'm saying a boy, he's actually very young, making an incredible discovery. We had a 12-year-old boy named Jackson Hepner, who was visiting the inn at Honey Run in Millersburg, Ohio with his family. And it's an inn, uh, if you're not familiar with the Midwest, we have lots of rivers and ponds and such that kind of weave their way through Ohio, Indiana, Missouri, Iowa, Illinois, all the way up through Wisconsin and Michigan. And so they were at one of these more serene places where people tend to hang out and kind of go to relax. And he was playing in a creek, and he came across a jagged object that was sticking out of the mud. He immediately alerted the family that he was with. And after they were able to remove it from the mud and kind of get it washed off, his dad and uncle thought that it didn't really look like a rock and they began a frantic Google search and quickly discovered that they might have found what is the tooth of a woolly mammoth or a mastodon. They weren't quite sure. So they contacted local perce- local professors and Jackson actually hand drew a map. You can one, you can look up the story and see the map. It's very much a 12 year old's map of where he found the tooth. Uh, hoping that maybe archaeologists would be able to find more parts of the mammoth because those of us who are familiar with archaeology know that generally you find one or two bones. And then if you dig just in that area, you can find more of the animal in question. Uh, It doesn't always work out that way uh, because things float through water, et cetera, et cetera, buried down a lot further. However, if you look hard enough, you can often find at least a few more pieces. So he drew this map. And then they turned the tooth over to the professors so they could do all of their archaeological testing and figure out what it was. And he actually so they gave it to him. They figured out, yes, it's a woolly mammoth tooth. Um, And they were able to do that, obviously, by all of the science that they have, but also understanding that woolly mammoth and mastodon fossils have been found all through the areas of like Indiana and Ohio because when they were alive 10,000 years ago, that was a place that they frequented due to the vegetation and the terrain, et cetera, et cetera. So he found this tooth. And so the according to CNN, where I got my information, uh, there are lots of articles on this. But I originally saw it on CNN, so I went to CNN when I was doing the podcast. And um, the professors and the scientists still have the tooth. And so Jackson wrote them a letter asking... To get the tooth back. He was like, I understand that you guys have to do your studying thing and all of that. But once you're done, uh, can I get that back? Because I want to show my friends because it's really cool. And I don't think he's heard back as the person who discovered it. He does get to request to have it back. And I'm pretty sure legally they have to give it back to him. There are lots of people that are hoping that when he's older, he'll give it to a museum or give it to the inn so they can show it off and say, oh, this was found here. But the 12-year-old right now is like, hey, I made this awesome discovery. I'm the one who did the work. I found it. Can I have it back? Hopefully, later on, they'll be able to find the rest of that mammoth and Jackson will turn the tooth over, but I'm going to agree with him. If I find something that cool... I don't want to have to give it back. It's mine. I found it. I'm awesome. Let me have it back. Uh, today is actually probably going to be a short podcast with it being the summertime. So we're not going to take a break. We're just going to move right along here and see if we can get you guys out of here in a little bit quicker than normal. Uh, moving on to our third story for the day, we have Simone Biles. Uh, just accomplishing again, because that seems to be the only thing that she knows how to do. So for those of you who, if you're not familiar with Simone Biles, I'd be shocked by now. But Simone Biles is a U.S. gymnast. Uh, People are arguing on whether she's the greatest female athlete of all time. Uh, It's been pretty much decided that she's the greatest female gymnast of all time. If nothing else, she's the most accomplished for sure, Uh, which you can't really argue with. She's won numerous Olympic medals. She's setting records for meddling in all-around and meddling events, et cetera, et cetera. And this year, she won her sixth U.S. championship. So for those of you who are not familiar, in gymnastic, the three major competitions for Americans are the U.S. championships. uh, Then you have Worlds, which happens— Every four years in the Olympics, which happens every four years. Worlds being two years from the Olympics. So you have an Olympic cycle, you have an Olympics, and then two years later you have a Worlds, and then you have an Olympics, then you have a Worlds, and the US championship happens every year. And so Simone Biles won her sixth US championship, which actually tied the record set by Clara Scroth Lomity in nineteen fifty-two, which obviously very long time ago. Uh, this is also important to note because Gymnasts do not, at least female gymnasts, do not have a very long shelf life uh, in gymnastics. They generally start their gymnastics training at a very young age, sometimes as young as like two or three years old. And for a lot of them, the careers wrap up at about 19 or 20. Uh, keeping in mind that, per international comp- competitive rules, you cannot actually start competing internationally until 16. So for most gymnasts, this means that you're competing in one Olympics and possibly two if you're lucky. So she got she won her sixth U.S. championship and did it at the age of 22, which in female gymnastics years is quite old. Uh, so that's impressive in itself. But not just tying the record winning her sixth and winning it at the age of 22, which is old for a female, female gymnast, Uh, But she also landed two brand new moves. So on beam, she is the first person to land a double twisting, double backflip. And men don't compete in the beam. So on that one, she's not the first woman. She's just the first person because beam is not a competition where men compete. And so that just like it sounds, two twists, two backflips. If you haven't seen the video, you should watch it. Uh, because the beam is only four inches wide and it is not that far off the ground. Um, so you don't get a lot of power in your jump and you do not get a lot of time in the air before you hit the ground. So to be able to do two full twists and two backflips is quite the athletic feat. And then that wasn't all that she did. That was new. She also did a twisting, sorry, a triple twisting double backflip in her floor routine. Again, if you haven't seen it, check out the video. It's a little bit crazy. If you can see the slow motion, do that so you can actually see what's happening. But to have someone twisting three times and flipping twice on something where they just jumped and landed is impressive. A triple twisting double backflip is impressive when a diver does it off of an incredibly high platform with plenty of time before they hit the water. Let alone doing it and then landing on your feet. How you have that much air awareness, I do not understand. It's incredibly impressive. Absolutely watch it. Uh, We do have the World Championships actually happening this year in October. And what's cool and very important about that is if she can land one or both of the moves at the World Championship, because they are new moves, they will be named after her. The Olympic rule being, or sorry, the gymnastics rule being, if you land a new move in order for it to be named after you it has to be landed in competition at either the world championships or the olympics and so with this year being a world championship and her unveiling these moves in august the thought is a there won't be enough time for somebody else to learn it and land it before her and b she's already landed them so this should happening this should happen rather so she could now have two brand new gymnastics moves named after her. Uh, It's also important to note that she going into next year's Olympics is the favorite to win for women's gymnastics, which, like I said, she's 22 years old. By that time, she'll be 23. And that would be unprecedented in recent gymnastics history. I actually went and looked... I was trying to find average age of gymnasts and all of those things and ended up coming across uh, a page that had all of the women who have won the Olympic all around gold medal for women's gymnastics and their ages. And so starting off, it was late 20s and then it got down to mid 20s and it got down to early 20s. But since 1976. I have all the ages listed here, listed here. I'm just going to run through them. It's not that many cuz the Olympics only happens over over 4 year every 4 years. But it's just really interesting to hear the ages. So starting with 76 and then ending with 2016, which was uh, Simone Biles at the time. So you have 14, 18, 16, 19, 15, 17, 16, 16, 18, 16 and 19. So for her to win she would be obviously the oldest at 23 since 1976. And also, she would be the second oldest because the last time she won in 2016, she was 19. So Simone Biles is doing amazing things. Thank God for social media for those of us who are not... Actively following what's happening in the world of gymnastics that we are being alerted alerted to what's going on in a sport that generally only gets watched every four years. But as we can see, great things are happening all the time. The last actual story that we have for today is... It's our story from tech. I'd said quite a few podcasts ago that I wanted to try to have a tech story on every podcast. And so our story for tech this week is about this new software called Cogito. And what Cogito is, it's a software uh, that's currently being used by Humana Pharmacy. But the CEO of Cogito has has talked about wanting to expand it uh, in the realm of call centers and the like. And what this technology does is it actually helps people improve their interaction with customers and their customer service skills. So many of us have called insurance companies, cable companies, whoever, and had really unpleasant experiences with first trying to even get to a human being. And secondly, uh, with the person on the other end, that person is generally underpaid, they are working a job that most people would not consider to be enjoyable. Uh, They're oftentimes not as educated in what we need as we would like. And oftentimes these are entry level jobs where people have very little skill and or experience. So for customers, the experience is generally not as great as the companies would want. And Cogito saw this and decided, let's figure out a way to improve the customer experience. And so they introduce this software, and it's being used in the Humana Pharmacy Call Center, which has about 1,700 people. And what happens is it's on their computer, and... When you're working in a call center, you have headphones and it's plugged into a computer and your headphones has a microphone and that's how you talk to people. And now they are transcribing the phone calls so that if somebody calls back and says X, Y and Z was said, they can look on the computer and go, no, that's not actually what was said. This is what this is what actually was said, et cetera, et cetera, so on, so on. And so what Cogito does is while the conversation is being transcribed, uh, it actually listens. It doesn't just read the trans- transcription. It actually listens. And it's listening for speech patterns, tone, inflection, things of that nature. And then it's coaching, live action coaching, the people who are working for the call center and talking to the customers. So you could be talking to a customer and, And all of a sudden on your screen it says, like you'll get a little note that says you are speaking faster than usual. Now, anyone who watches any kind of talk show on television or the news or anything like that, the host have uh, an earpiece in where the producer talks to them and tells them, Hey, we're going to commercial, this thing just happened, slow down, oh, you missed this. There's like somebody actively coaching them. Well now. Regular people have that, too. So it'll say you're speaking faster than usual. So as a customer service agent, that would be my cue to obviously slow down. But it doesn't just stop with like very finite black and white things. They'll give you some messages to say, think about how the customer is feeling. Try to relate so they can hear it in your voice. If you're starting to sound kind of absent minded or if the customer is sounding a little more upset and it's a time where you should express more empathy uh, they'll will, they will also get notifications that notify you of extended silence to know that, oh, you've been quiet for a while or both of you have been quiet for a while. Or it might just say empathy again, expressing this is a time where you should try to show more empathy. And that is something that's interesting because we have technology and in this case, a form of artificial intelligence telling us how to interact with people. Which a lot of people would take offense to and say, how can a computer tell me how to do this and blah, 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 not understanding that human interaction speech is something that has been studied for years and years and years and years. And so if you can take that research, you can if you have the techn technological skill, you can very easily weave it into some sort of observational technology that will be able to read what is happening and listen to what is happening and give people advice on how to go forward in the same way that a person would. Obviously, this cannot have as much nuance as a person would if they were listening to the conversation. However, if a person were listening and you have that kind of nuance, oftentimes that is something that happens after the call is over and the customer by that point is already upset. So if I were a company like Humana, I would really look into this uh, because this can possibly improve the customer experience when they call in now this doesn't solve the problem of it sometimes taking 30 minutes to even get to a live human being but once you get to a live human being you do have a better chance of having a more pleasant experience what this does do however is open up a larger conversation about how technology is changing the workplace. And this is something that, with me being in an MBA program, I've had a lot of conversations about in class, and people tend to have varying opinions. And it's actually really fascinating to think about how technology is advancing, and most people are very, very happy about this. However, there are lots of people who are having their jobs replaced. So I now need less people listening to conversations that people are having in a call center to help them and coach them because we have a computer program who can do that. If you are somebody who moved to the Midwest to work in the automobile industry and build cars, those jobs are now different, not completely gone, but different in that the factories, when the assembly line previously was people, now it's machines, and the people who are in the the factories are monitoring the machines and making sure that the machines are doing what they're supposed to do. But again, that takes less people. But if I'm a car company and I can produce 100 cars a day as opposed to 10 cars a day, I'm going to take the 100 cars a day. And while it may cost me more upfront to pay for the technology over the long run, I make more money on a daily on a per day basis and I save money in wages. Uh, but that also means that people are using losing their jobs. Technology is starting to reach the point where the very entry-level, very simple jobs, very data-driven jobs are no longer needing people to do them. Think about NASA. If you've seen Hidden Figures, they developed the new computer, and all of the people who used to have to do the calculations for the flights and the landings and the satellites, et cetera, They all lost their jobs. Now, in Hidden Figures, the supervisor was smart enough to train her people on how to use the computers and monitor the computers, but it still took less people than it would have if they had to do all the calculations by hand. And it happens faster. So this is an issue, a quote unquote issue, that has been happening and becoming more prevalent since the 60s. And we, it seems as though we haven't really come up with a real solution for the people who are losing their jobs. Uh, Oftentimes, the people who, once they lose their jobs, once the like hands on workers lose their jobs and the technology takes over, the people who are managing the technology are not the same people who are doing the hands on job. They're generally outside people with outside training and they're coming in and Being able to do this And so people are losing their jobs And then being replaced by other people Uh, And then we also have jobs That are just kind of going away altogether Where technology can do this Much faster, much more efficiently And cheaper than human cans Humans can Uh, I used to work in a pharmacy And for a number of prescriptions uh, We would have to get the bottle That we bought off the shelf Open it and then count pills and fill them and then somebody else would recount them and then put them in the bottle label them all of that and then the pharmacist would look at one pill check it make sure it was right and then drop it in the bag seal it etc however we did have a machine for i believe the number was like 40 our 40 most used or most prescribed medications were in this machine and when I would type an order into the computer, the computer would know that the machine had that medication. Send the, um, It would send the medication to the machine, and then the person who's normally the second count would get it out of the machine, count it once, and then pass it to the pharmacist. Pharmacist checks it, and then it'd be sent on the way in the bag, and everything's good. What that did is, for those medications, it cut out one person. The one person who initially had to go get the medication off of the shelf, do the initial count, and then give it to the person who checks it, that person no longer existed. It went from typing it into the computer to checking it to giving it to the pharmacist as opposed to typing it into the computer, finding it on the shelf, doing an initial count, and then checking. So that's just one example in something like a pharmacy where we wouldn't even think we would want to use machines, that machines are starting to be more efficient, but I will admit the machine is faster at finding the medication and doing an initial count than I am of going to find it. Even if I know exactly where it is, because it's something that I grab all the time, the machine is still faster. And our machine was big enough that it could count multiple medications at the same time, as opposed to me, a human who can get one and maybe I can grab three bottles, but I have to go to the different spots in the pharmacy, grab three and then count all three. The machine does that faster than I do. So this is something that's absolutely changing the way that we view the workforce. And it for a lot of people is incentive to receive higher education or choose a new career field to ensure that they can support themselves. So just something interesting. If you're somebody who wants to be an entrepreneur, I would say tech and some sort of app is the way to go. Apps are slowly but surely solving all of the problems that we didn't even know that we had until somebody was like, hey, there's an easier way to do that. But because we'd been doing it this inconvenient way, we hadn't thought about it. So if you're an entrepreneur, I would say look into apps. That's probably going to be the future of where you can invent things and make your money. But wait, there's more. Hang on to your seat, baby, because this one's a screamer. For this week's But Wait, There's More I have noticed on social media that in just this week, mostly I have seen an increase in the number of people who are reposting articles about what is happening in the Amazon rainforest in South America. For those of you who possibly have not seen it, the Amazon rainforest in South America has been raging with wildfires for the last couple of weeks. And as people like to do. Uh, When something happens internationally and they feel like it's an outrage or an injustice and the American media is not talking about it, you all of a sudden see an influx of articles that are like, oh my God, this thing is happening and why is nobody talking about it? Or the rainforest, uh, more specifically for this one, the rainforest has been burning for two weeks and nobody's saying anything. And what's interesting about this is oftentimes these people repost these articles and don't actually read them. They see the headline and they're like, oh, my God, that's terrible. What an injustice. How is nobody talking about this? Blah, 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 blah. And then they repost it. But when you bother to do the research, oh, please, 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 before you click on something, number one, before you repost something, the most important thing you can do, check the date. Because things randomly resurface and you'll go, oh, my God, how is nobody talking about this? And then when you click on it, you go, oh, that's because it happened in 2016, which was three years ago. So first of all, at least open it and check the date. But secondly, read what's happening. And more importantly, find another article on it. That's probably the biggest thing, because half the time people repost stuff, it's not even true. Or it's skepticism, or this is the initial report of what may be happening, and then we later find out that's not what actually happened. So check your dates, read it, and then also try to find another article that says the same thing. In regards to the rainforest, wildfires are happening. That's the thing. It's pretty upsetting. However, this is a time of year where the rainforest is always on fire because loggers and cattle farmers... Before they clear the rainforest, it's much easier for them to burn it down first because dead wood is easier to chop down than live wood. So people who are clearing the rainforest to be able to raise cattle and people who are clearing the rainforest to be able to cut down the trees burn the forest every year. It just so happens that this year it was especially dry and the fires got a little bit out of hand, but it's actually nothing Significantly crazier than what happens on a yearly basis. It's a little bit more, not that much more. People have not been checking to see what's actually happening. And so they're just being upset. Oh, my God, the rainforest is burning. Nobody's doing anything. That's because it's supposed to be burning. Not that I am agreeing that we burn down the rainforest. However, it is legal for them to burn down the rainforest in order to conduct their business, whether that be raising cattle or logging for things like paper and other wood products like furniture etc. So people stop being outraged at the fact that the rainforest is burning because people do this all the time. Now if you want to be outraged at the fact that we're allowed to burn the rainforest, that's completely different. I'm here with you on that. We should stop burning down the rainforest. It presi- provides 20% of the oxygen that we breathe. That little patch of land. I get it. But don't give me the oh my god the rainforest has been burning for 2 weeks And nobody's talking about it. That's because it's not actually a story. Furthermore, on that, those of you who only get your news from social media, please do better. Uh, Don't there's there have been so many times where I've seen articles and people are like, why is nobody talking about this? And the answer is people are talking about it. It just so happens that the people who you are friends with and or follow on social media are not talking about it. But CNN is talking about it. USA Today is talking about it. The BBC is talking about it. The local news is talking about it. The national news is talking about it. However, your friends are not. That does not mean that nobody is talking about it. It just means that you aren't. What I would suggest to you is if you decide that you're going to get your news from Facebook or Instagram or Twitter that... All of the news stations, ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox, CNN, USA Today, BBC, Time, like I could just keep going, local news, national news, they all have Facebook pages and Twitter handles and Instagram accounts. If you're only going to get your news from social media, how about you actually follow some news, people? If you're a sports person and you want to get your sports news, ESPN, Fox Sports. CBS Sports, Sports Illustrated, Bleacher Report, all of those companies, they all have social media pages. Follow the news on social media. Then you can actually get your news. You don't have to be the person who's two weeks late to finding out that something has been happening or finding out that something is happening. And by the time you find out, it already happened and you missed out on something. So don't complain about nobody talking about things when you're not actually doing your due diligence to make sure that you're staying informed get the cnn app on your phone get the usa today app on your phone i get it and i often just get headlines and i'm like oh that's not something that i really care about but at least i know that that happened and then on an occasion i'll go oh that's interesting that's literally how i found out about the boy with the woolly mammoth It cnn was like boy discovers woolly mammoth in ohio and i was like that's interesting what happened You read it, you find out this really cool thing, but like more important things happening. Somebody important died. Somebody stepped down from the White House cabinet. Somebody got elected here. This attack happened here. You can find out not just from your friends. You can get the information on your own from the news. It's okay. I know that we don't like to watch the news anymore and we're cord cutting, etc., etc., but With the way that we are connected through technology, it doesn't only mean connecting yourself to the people that you interact with, it also means that you have the opportunity to connect yourself to the people who are delivering news. Now, is the news sometimes biased? Absolutely. That's why I suggest subscribing to more than one and getting more than one opinion. And if you're interested in international news, The BBC does a really good job of covering stories in America and Europe and Asia and Africa. They are very worldwide. So if you're interested in that, by all means, follow the BBC. But if you're somebody who lives in America, at least have one of the news stations that you follow on multiple social media sites so that you can actually get real news in the same time that people who are staying informed are getting real news. And if you have the time... Scroll through CNN once a day. It takes like 15 minutes to look at the headlines and go, oh, none of that really applies to me. I'm fine. Or, oh, this one thing is very interesting. It's not that difficult. But most of all, stop saying that nobody is talking about these things when everybody is talking about them. It's just not the people who you pay attention to. That's all I got this week. It's a little bit shorter coming off, a bit of a break, but looking forward to once fall is actually starting, having... Getting back to our regular once-a-week podcast. As always, if you're listening on Apple Podcast, subscribe rate review fly five stars. If you're not going to give me five stars, just please DM me on either Instagram or Twitter, where you can find me at dub 1617 on Twitter. Sorry, at dub r1617 on Twitter and at dub R16 on Instagram. Thanks again for listening. And as always, later days.